Welcome everyone to Dave 25, the 7 a.m. novelist March March Writing Challenge. I hope you're having a great morning. I am Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we have the wonderful Margot Robb, who is going to be getting us back to nature outside with our writing. And she's going to talk to us specifically about writing in and about gardens. Good morning, Margot. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on our show. Margot Robb is the author of the award-winning novels Lucy Clark Will Not Apologize, Kissing in America, and Cures for Heartbreak, all published by HarperCollins. Margot's essays, journalisms, book reviews, and short stories have been published in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Smithsonian, Slate, Zoetrope All Story, One Story, and Marie Claire, and have been broadcast on NPR. So she's a busy person. She's gotten herself out there. She received the grand prize of the Zoetrope Short Story Contest, first prize in the Atlantic Fiction Contest, first prize in the American Fiction Contest. Margaret, I'm just running out of breath reading all these amazing things, and a Penn Syndicated Fiction Project Award. She grew up in Queens, New York, and now lives in Philadelphia with her family. All right, Margo, so much fantastic work that you're doing. Let's get to the gardens. What first sent you into writing in gardens? Uh, thank you so much for having me, Michelle. You know, I, I was excited to talk about this because, you know, we met many years ago at Breadloat Writers Conference. And, um, you know, over the many years of writing, I feel like something that's been hard for me is trying to keep that thrill that I felt when I first started. I still remember um, the short story that I had on NPR was one of my very first short stories from the syndicated fiction project they had back then. And I still remember writing at the kitchen table that night and this just sense of like it came out, this short story came out in this like, like I just couldn't stop writing that compulsion and that excite, like heart thumping excitement. But over the years, I feel like, and over when I started changing from short stories to working on novels, it's so hard to keep that thrill and that compulsion and that engagement with the work. And I feel like for me, that's one of the biggest struggles, especially now more than ever as with technology and the world, you know, being such a nightmare, I feel like it's noisier than ever. And I have kids and a puppy and two cats. <laughs> Just yeah. It gets harder and harder. You know, to- I'm so glad to hear you say that because... Yeah, we keep writing and we kind of lose that young like excitement and it just all comes out. And but that's okay. I think that's just a part of, I don't know, aging. (laughs) Um, But also also all these other things coming in and um, and and just getting back to the desk and making sure that it's it's working for you. So I think that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong. Um, but how? So yeah, how did you find it again, or how did you kind of get yourself back closer to that that kind of excitement? Yeah, so gardens have become a really essential part of my writing for me, and getting that sense of thrill back and that love for my work, and just really noticing when I feel that. Um, I have a good friend um, who's a writer who calls it, you know, being called, which I'm not a woo-woo person and I'm not religious at all, but there is always something very magical about writing. Like there's, you know, it's always so hard to describe it without sounding nuts. <laughs> I don't know if that's like, you know, bearing into like the woo-woo mystical, which I'm not at all, you know, but I do feel like there's something very strange. There's a strangeness and a magical quality about the creative process that 
is um, hard to pin down. And, and especially in this world, uh, you know, it's not people don't say to you like, oh, go do your creative work. Wonderful. You know, be a poet. That's what a dream come true. You yeah, know, everyone's you telling us to be poets. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. And I think I've mentioned before the um, Itella Covino's If on a Winter's Night, a Traveler. Have you read that? Yeah. Yeah. And so you have a character several characters, writers that, you have one writer that has a lot of trouble getting inspired and, and getting things on the page and another writer who doesn't. And the writer who has trouble getting it on the page, he he gets the, he gets the ideas, he feels them coming to them. The novel actually assigns those ideas to like, I think called the God of stories. Sometimes those, those ideas are assigned to UFOs. Sometimes those ideas are assigned <laughs> to some cosmic, you know, story voice that is coming to the writer um, so they can hear it. And yet he's like, I wish I didn't have a hand because there's something in my hand <laughs> that gets in the way <laughs> yeah, exactly. of, of, of transcribing it down. Um, but I think we're all kind of fighting for, you know, not getting stuck in the, in the hand or, or I actually think, um, getting stuck in the computer because I'm assuming though I might be wrong if you're working in gardens I'm assuming you're writing by hand yeah I, I am writing by hand and I've actually been using these notebooks that my friend my friend Judy one of my writer friends was making fun of me because it's handmade paper and it looks like tree bark <laughs> she's like she's like are you writing on papyrus because it just looks so <laughs> but I feel like during the pandemic too I, I have gotten really obsessed with the feel of paper and Getting that for me also helps with the thrill. So I first became obsessed with writing in a public garden. In 2015, we um, moved. We were living in Austin, Texas, where we'd lived for seven years. And my husband, unfortunately, lost his job and got a new one in the Philadelphia area. And so we moved our whole family across country here. We didn't I only had knew like one person here. Um, and we found a temporary rental when we were looking to buy a house. And I had my kids were little and I had to get them settled in their schools and our cats were on Xanax for the ride and it just was so God, stressful and we were plunked out. We'd found this rental house in like deep suburbia and I had never even lived in suburbia before. I grew up in Queens in New York City, so it was completely new to me and I felt just very out of place. There weren't any other writers really. I, I met one or two writers out there, but yeah, I just felt very isolated and losing all our friends and my writing community in Austin, which had a very tight knit writing community was really painful. Um, and I found there was a public garden 10 minutes away from our, our house we were renting and it's called Chanticleer Garden. And I thought I'd been to other public gardens. So I thought this was just gonna be like them, but it isn't at all. It feels like you're entering into Narnia. It really, it made me think that as that was 2015 and in the years since I've really started to believe that certain not every public garden but some gardens the best ones are almost as similar as you can get to a novel as an art form and that it's an entire universe like it's it really is you walk through this garden and there's works of art throughout the garden they actually have an exhibit at a local art gallery right now of of art from the garden like these fantastical benches I mean it really looks like you're in another magical realm yeah you're in another world so you're already in that fantasy world you're already yeah, in that, you're already in the fictional dream exactly. <laughs> it's absolutely um, fictional dream but it's um also just it's it's all of the senses like it smells amazing the sounds the you see something different every time these little I mean it's 
an enormous production. Like as I've gotten to know the garden behind the scenes, they have a huge staff. I mean, they work so hard to make it beautiful. Um, but I just, I felt that again, like my heart would thump and pound. And I felt this like absolutely electrifying inspiration. And so I am, um, was had a, a tuba contract um, and I was working on the second novel. And of course the garden seeped into the writing and it became, the gar- the novel actually became based, it's called Lucy Clark Will Not Apologize. And it's set in a fictionalized version of that garden. And I wrote a lot of it there. Um, and since then I, I had asked actually one of the gardeners on staff, his name was Chris Fellhaber to, cause I didn't really know anything about a pro- being a professional horticulturist. Um, yeah. So they, I asked to, I just asked the head of the garden to, if there was anyone I could talk to who could um, sort of, you know, I could follow around just to do research. And so he ended up being like, also like a fictional character. Like he would say these philosophical, like he's like Dickens from the secret garden, like say these beautiful things about life and gardens and magic and the philosophy of it. That was so helpful for the book. Um, and we ended up becoming good friends which is also one of the things I've been realizing as a writer that you forget is that when you start to write and put work in the world and publish, like actually through the process, you actually meet amazing people. And, you know, it's not only about producing the work, it's about, you know, there's something also magical about the friendships you make. Um, and so I actually, he was saying all these amazing things that some of them were so great. I couldn't even put them into fiction because, you know, people would say, I know I'm sure you have that moment too, where you think, oh, a real person, like it doesn't ring true yeah. on the page. So I actually wrote an um, essay using some of Chris's quotes and it was in the New York Times about falling in love with the garden and um, writing that essay too. I realized for essays too, like I always, I started the essay with the question, like basically, have I lost my mind falling in love with a public garden? <laughs> like this is such a strange thing and why? And through the essay, I kind of figured out what what it was for me. Um, nice. And then you know, part of the magic of the process is strange too. So through Chris and those connections with that garden, I met another gardener and fell in love with another local garden here. Moving to Philadelphia, I didn't know that it's Philadelphia is known as America's garden capital, and we have thirty public gardens. Um, and I have an, so this is a garden that I just had a piece come out in the Smithsonian. It's called the Crown and Shield Garden, and it is actually if you're on the podcast. Basically, she's showing paradise on a book cover, <laughs> which is the garden and and the old walls um, and the archways. Yeah, um, that's fantastic. And so we'll put a link to that article and and the Smithsonian Mag article in the podcast notes. And oh, great. On- yeah, we can do that so that people can find the full thing. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that about Philadelphia. How amazing. You think they'd all be writers then? Because what you're basically bringing in is all this. It's funny. You talked about all this work behind the scenes of all these people that that make this thing beautiful. And yet you don't see them. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that really is what a novel is. You know, you put in all of this workmanship behind the scenes, but you can't have it. You can't have readers see it or know it or view it. They just have to kind of exist in that mystical world with you. Um, so so being able to take part in someone else's mystical world that they've set up and then disappeared from, I just I just love. Um, yeah. I loved also, I realized like the, one of the things I loved about Chanticleer and this garden is called the Crown and Shield Garden. And the Crown and Shield Garden, garden is so interesting because it was actually abandoned for 50 years. Nobody 
could you couldn't they grew over so it was this beautiful garden built from the late 1920s through the late 1950s early 60s and then it felt they abandoned it um after the woman and her husband who created the garden they were uh she was a dupont family heir heiress and after she and her husband died they let the, the garden fell into abandonment and became covered in like chest high jungle of weeds and it's basically the story of a real life secret garden because after during lockdown and the pandemic, the gardener, Paul, who um, became sort of the garden's champion, um, had he right before the lockdown, he burned away the five feet of weeds to uncover these ruins that hadn't seen daylight. And the flowers came back to bloom after 50 years. So it was just such an amazing story. Wow, that's, so that's a garden that was completely neglected that I thought was equally beautiful if not more than the other garden that was so tended just because it was also a site where people died it was the dupont family powder mill and so hundreds of people had died on the site in explosions and the ruins were built of the exploded ruins it's just such a magical story and i'm um, working on a book project now from the article just because it, it like in the garden once again i had that heart beating feeling that compulsion of writing about it Fantastic. So you bring these weird notebooks out <laughs> that look like that look like birch bark, which I love. Um, and I press flowers in them or leaves. I'm always putting like little. Oh, nice. In them. So how do you um, like how long do you stay? Do you go out with um, ideas of what you want to work on? Because you were working on other projects that that didn't actually specifically have to do with gardens. So what was kind of your process when you sat down and you found your place? What would you do? So I take out the notebook and I'm I'm a big um, diary keeper too. I've kept a diary since I was nine years old. So I often just have sort of that unleashing of my brain, you know, mumbo yes. jumbo and just get that all out and then um and also moving through the space I'll walk around first and that just walking sort of kind of unlocks something for me creatively and then I'll find a place to sit and um I when I was working on the novel on mumbo jumbo are you getting out like the things in your head like I wish I had a muffin or you know <laughs> like kind of the detritus of of things and just kind of getting that I because I oftentimes tell my students if you can't think to write like and other thoughts are getting in the way, write out those thoughts just to kind of get rid of them, kind of toss them. Um, I don't know, is that what you're doing? Like as a kind of diarist and then you move or do you go right to the fiction? I do often often do a sort of soul clearing thing. Yeah. And I realized in the garden too, I, I have less of that, like walking around, it's like I shed a skin almost and that sort of cluttered brain, the outside world almost falls away. And I feel like I'm able to access the creative space more easily. So I'll often have in the garden less of that. And usually I'll start writing like, wow, I feel so much better as if I have to learn the lesson again, that just being there feels like almost, it almost feels like taking a, a drug. Like I just instantly feel so much better. And Shannon Claire, actually their stated goal of the garden is that you will leave in a better mood than when you arrived like that. They call it a pleasure garden. And um that's uh, it. I think it's true. I'm always in a better mood after I go there. So they have some little tables and these chairs in the woods. And so I would often I'd take a chunk of my novel, like print out a chapter and mark it up often, like read it. Sometimes read it aloud if I'm alone. And you know, if someone's walking by, then I look like a muttering crazy but person. Who cares? But who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Just be like, 
hello, I'm muttering, you know, exactly. you know deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's interesting. So you're really, you're really revising and going through pages that you've already done. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge reviser. Like my, I'm really good at doing drafts quickly, but they're incredibly horribly bad. So, mm-hmm. so much is in revision for me. So I'll often, uh, I mean, even my process for essay writing, like these two essays that came out recently, I have hundreds of pages of notes for both. I mean, which is why I'm working on a book like project, but I'm, I'm, I produce tons and tons of work. And then it's almost like, you know, just boiling it down to this essence, which I find really satisfying because I usually don't know what on earth, you know, I, I always start with that question, like, why am I obsessed with this garden? And it takes a lot of writing to get there. Um, but yeah. somehow being there though, it just makes the process so much pleasurable too. Like sometimes, I mean, I love writing and I love being, I mean, I, it can be horrible at times too, but the loneliness is hard, especially after the pandemic too. I feel like the loneliness of it has been harder. Um, and it's been harder and harder to escape um, from the noise of the world for me after the pandemic or yeah. still whatever stage of the pandemic we're at. So I feel like being in the garden too, I'm able to just escape from all that and just really refill the well. I can literally feel like things sort of filling back up by the the sense of awe too. I feel like it really triggers yeah. a sense of awe that, and this, the sense of the importance of creativity too. Like, I feel like it just reminds me how important it is that creative work really changes us. And so Chris and I, the, uh, the gardener, Shannon Clear, who I became friends with, we would have these really deep philosophical conversations about the meaning of gardens and that it felt like we were having like an unrecorded podcast. So I asked him at one point, like, maybe we should teach writing in the garden together. And we've been teaching classes in Chanticleer um, where he talks about the plants and I'll talk about writing. And it's been, that's been a magical experience too. Cause I feel like our students are so affected by being in the garden that there's this outpouring of emotion and creativity. And then in one of our classes recently, like everyone was crying at one point, <laughs> just like, I feel like it's a safe, there's like a safety of it, of being in this magical, beautiful setting that I can't find in a classroom when I teach. So yeah. I, um, that's yeah. really changed the way I teach writing too. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Um, so some things to go back to. So I do think it's helpful for all writers to have like a, a, a place that is their writing space yeah. because it, it makes it easier to get into that headset because, or that mindset, because you're, because you're so it's, it's a habit that you form. And so you can just step into it more easily if that space is um dedicated for your writing and I remember um I used to have a very small apartment and I would and I always sit on like a little couch to write because I'm lazy and don't like desks and so I had my red chair couch that I would do all my grading on but there's there's no way in hell that I could do writing on that because it was so infected by all my grading and all the (laughs) so then I had an orange couch chair thing that I'd move over and they were based I think they were even in the same room so you don't have to have a lot of space because a lot of people don't have that space that they can go to um, but even just moving place so it sounds like walking into the garden it's it just kind of as a hab- habitual signal to the brain like this is what I'm doing here this is what I'm doing now um, and the fact that you've had such good experiences in the past there I think just allow that door to open so much more easily because I know a lot of writers talk about 
they have to get themselves into the mode or the the mindset again. And it takes a little while to kind of go through the layers of everyday life to drop there. And so yeah. I just love again that the garden is already, it's already that place, that creative space. And you're already in a place of awe. I love that 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 word because um, you know, again, as writers, we're also reaching for beauty. (laughs) I mean, I'm always reaching for that in my writing, and it might sound overly earnest and stupid, but I'd love to, what what can I give my readers, Um, even though my stuff tends to be a bit dark, but what can I give my readers that is that is beautiful, that is a world that they can enter. And then you also have all these details, you remind yourself of all the, the details of the world of life that you can get into your writing. Um, and I mean, how often do you go to the garden? How often are you able to do this? You've got kids, you've got cats, you've got puppies. What's <laughs> how are you able to do this? Well, unfortunately, Chanticleer closes in the winter, which is sad. Um, although we were teaching, um, I'm able to go there sometimes off season to visit, um, which is lucky, but uh, they open in a month at the end of March. And so I try to go at least, you know, at least once a week or so, maybe more. It's about a half hour drive from our house, so that's hard. Um, but I have found places that are walking distance of even where we live outside Philly. We're lucky to live in Philadelphia. has so many other bits of nature, and there's actually a little stream that I can walk to. And I'll take my, when I feel stuck or just in that, you know, bad place of, you know, having lost that, the, the good feelings about writing, I'll walk there and take my work there. I try to be outside or... Um, during lockdown, I would print out, I called them chapter walks, and I'd print out a chapter and just walk around the neighborhood, um, also muttering. <laughs> At one point, some neighbor commented, I would sit on like a neighbor's stone wall and mark up the chapter, and some neighbor at one point was like, what on earth are you doing? Again, I think we just can't care. Like, <laughs> yeah. One of, one of my uh, novel incubator students says, you know, she said, my goal for, for March is just to um, eavesdrop on people. <laughs> and see how they act and what they say. Um, and yeah, you might be arrested for that. But I think, <laughs> I think again, like uh, the oddities, the odd space that we have to go in as writers, we just have to kind of let ourselves do that. So let's see. Um, you know, the, the crowning shield garden that I just wrote about also was such an interesting metaphor for me too, because it's a site where so many people died in my own head. I, I would call it the Alice Monroe of gardens or the, I'm, I love Linda Berry. Um, and just that it's so many things at once, you know, it's a place where people died. It's a ruin. They built a ruin on top of an industrial ruin that then became ruined by nature and time through abandonment. So it just, for me, captures all the things that I love about writing too. Like, um, like Alice Monroe is one of my favorite writers because she has so many things happening at once. Like I can still pick up one of her stories that I've read a million times and get so much out of it in that that also helps unleash something in me. I think as a writer, I'm most fascinated by these com- these complex feelings sometimes, like this landscape that we don't really have the words for about death and grief and life and how they're all combined. So being in a place that captures that really does make me, once again, it like makes my heart thump and that feeling of, of compulsion. Also that feeling where like, I have to write. I, I really love that feeling. And Sometimes we lose that, but when it comes back, it's so pleasurable to just oh, let it nice. let it rip. You know? And I think the important thing is to try something new. If you if you've hit a place where the writing has just kind of has gotten so frustrating for you and so 
so so difficult try something new try a different mode of writing that might again be in writing by hand in a notebook versus always writing on your computer depending on what your process is um, speaking into um, a recording you know whatever you can do to make it new and then go to someplace new um, and so it can be outside or um you know, just a, or a different cafe or gosh, a different room if you really can't leave, you know, just a different couch, um, just just something new to kind of jumpstart. But but this idea of going into the garden and going to, into natural spaces, I mean, even just talking about this, I'm all excited. Um, and today, today <laughs> we're recording it. Yeah, today we're yeah. recording it and the, the weather is actually really shitty. Um, oh, yeah, so there's no writing outside today, <laughs> but I'm very excited to do this upcoming um i think so like interior spaces uh inspire awe too like the isabella stewart gardner museum in um yes. Boston, like that the courtyard i feel like you know when you're stuck taking your your work to an interior space that's beautiful yeah some coffee shops have that some don't but there's some places some bookshops for me have that that strange feeling of just being transported and that feeling of awe in a beautiful interior space that yeah. um it's definitely not always my own since my own often has like cats and puppy and you know like too much stuff and laundry to fold. But um right. yeah, I really do feel like it unlocks something being in a beautiful place. And I think it does. And again, so now we're, you know, hopefully getting towards the end of this awful pandemic thing or able to go to public spaces again. Um, yeah, so I used to work a lot in the Boston Public Library, the main building, and they have that main room where it's just row after row after row of desks and these wonderful green lamps. And then above you, there, there are all of these amazing quotes from, from incredible thinkers and writers, and the, and the ceiling is huge. Those yeah, those spaces that you're 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 a part of something, you're feeding off of that, you're both you're also giving in to that. I think it's really, really important. And I also love though that you're revising in those spaces. So you bring your you go on a chapter walk, you bring mm -hmm. your chapter with you, and then you find a place and, and you read it aloud, it sounds like. Well, so, well, if I'm in a um like if I was at the, going to the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I would I but in my head I'll you know reread. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, something about gardens and novel writing, too, that's similar or any essay, any type of writing for me, essays, too, is it's so much is about seeing. And I feel like if you sit one in one spot in a beautiful place for 15 minutes and you start to see things that you didn't even see before, especially being outside or in, in any really intentionally beautiful space, you, you can see all these beautiful things and it's yeah. writing is similar for that too. So if I print something out, just being able to see what's there. And I, Linda Barry, I mentioned, I love because she has this, I don't know if you ever listened to her. She's a wonderful um, interview on Design Matters podcast. Mm -hmm. She talks about the best advice she ever received was from her teacher who said, she had said, she said she was talking about a, a drawing she had made and she told her teacher, Marilyn, that she didn't like it or she wasn't, you know, she didn't, in, she wasn't sure how she felt. And her teacher, Marilyn said, it's none of your business. And I love that too, like to stop judging the work. So printing it out and just seeing what's there, what came out and letting it have its way in the world without judgment and without, um, you know, because I think we're, it's so hard to get away from that judging brain. And I see, you know, my kids are now in, um, I have a middle schooler and a high schooler. And I think the way writing is taught in school makes me want to scream because it's constant 
squashing of creativity and judgment, at least in public schools here, they, yeah. it's, you know, it's like they've taken the pleasure and the creativity out of teaching writing. And it's really hard to watch because it sort of goes against everything that I want my kids to know about writing, that it's about discovery and being strange and breaking rules and, and creativity and fun even and delight and awe. Um, and now it seems like they're teaching them how to write corporate <laughs> stuff that is the opposite of all of that. So also how they teach reading is that they turn it into like a critical thinking skill. So you can't yeah. even read for pleasure. You, you're, you're turning it into a math problem. Oh, yeah, I could go on and on about that. <laughs> my, my daughter had a thing that came home, which there's some essay writing instructions where it's they're writing a literary essay and it said, the author is not your friend. Like, don't refer to them. You know, and I was like, I don't want to be like, yeah, that that jerk. <laughs> no, I'm sure, yeah, writers were like, you're not my friend. Like, oh my god, we love our readers. That's <laughs> you kidding. Know? Yeah, we couldn't do. Oh, that's very sad. <laughs> like, oh, so absurd. So, There's so much absurdity. Yeah. So, so what I love though too. Okay, printing it out, I think alone is very helpful because I think people forget to do that. When I worked for newspapers, I did a lot of writing and copy editing for newspapers, um, and they would actually print out all the articles after we'd edited them so that we could actually see them in a new light and see if we actually fixed the problems. Because suddenly you're like, oh. I didn't catch that that error there. Oh, I didn't catch. So, and again, you're not even just looking for, as you said, things to criticize, but other just other ways to see it and other things to get excited about. Um, and then, um, and then, but also carrying that printout into a new space because we always talk about you really need to try to defamiliarize yourself with what you've done so that you can see it. Um, and so taking it to a new space like that in a very different space like that outdoors is really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, it's really changed my writing for me, I think. Absolutely. Experience. I would think it'd be really addictive. And yeah, I would think you'd be like, oh, I just want to go to a garden all the time. Uh, that's incredible. I absolutely love that. Okay. I need to get these folks to the writing desk. So I hope, <laughs> um, again, this uh you guys are going to see this on March 25th, and then you can listen to it on the podcast after. So I hope that inspires you. Hopefully by March 25th, we'll be out of this crap, uh, at least in the Northeast. <laughs> um, and, and it won't be snowing and spitting ice and rain the way it is doing right now. So I want to get you to your writing desk. Um, just information again, you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates. And we also have ongoing discussions there as well. So that's kind of fun to take part in and kind of feel like you're working with other people and joining with other people. Um, if you want to join our daily live webinars in March, email me at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can also find the podcast version of these webinars, including our first 50-day challenge. Those are still up there. You can find that um, on, just search 7am novelist podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, any other podcast platform. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and even review our podcast. And that helps us kind of get known and, and helps us to reach other listeners. Okay, Margo, are you going to be able to get some writing done today? Yes. Yeah, we have a little bit of a sketchy weather today too, but I'm going to, when we get a break in the rain, I'm going to go outside and take my latest essay in progress and mark it up. And also I'm... um actually meeting a writer friend later today in a beautiful interior space that is decorated with plants and flowers. So I think we'll have our, our craft talk in that space where I'm sure we'll talk about all of this. So. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with my writing group tonight. My writing group writes. We go to a cafe and we ignore each other and write. And then we get together and talk afterwards. But that, that's always fun. Always go to, to be with other people that are working to keep you going. Okay, thank you so much, Margo. This is absolutely so fun to have you on. And I'm so geared up to getting outside when it's nice. <laughs> or, or getting back into those beautiful spaces. Um, thank you, everyone. And have a happy writing day.